and welcome to Lakeshore Update. I'm Dee Dodson. On this edition of the podcast, you'll hear the latest on a new contract between NIPSCO and the United Steelworkers Union. Stephanie Weekman reports Governor Eric Holcomb has signed legislation into law that expands the definition of rape in Indiana to include the element of consent. And Chris Nolte has a conversation with Franciscan Health Director of Clinical Education, Jennifer Olson. All of that and more on this edition of Lakeshore Update. NIPSCO and the United Steelworkers Union have agreed to a new contract that includes pay raises and a ratification bonus. The Times reports a summary of the contract the union provided to workers said it's a four-year deal that runs through March 31, 2026. Union workers will get raises of 3.5% in 2023, 3% in 2024, 3% in 2025, and 3% in 2026. The workers will also get a one-time ratification bonus of $2,360. NIPSCO agreed that the union will continue to negotiate the NIPSCO PPO medical plan and to lock in the plan design of its current health coverage, including the deductible out-of-pocket maximums and coinsurance. Health savings account contributions will increase from $800 to $1,200 for one plan and from $300 to $700 for another. The utility will increase subsidies for post-retirement health care, raising the retirement subsidy to $235 per year of service. Current NIPSCO employees will be given single-day flexibility where they can take up to three weeks of their annual vacation in one day or partial day increments instead of the previous cap of two weeks. Employees will also be able to take either Martin Luther King Jr. Day or President's Day off as a paid holiday. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. The Lake County Council has agreed to chip in some of its COVID money for a Crown Point area sewer project. Council members passed a resolution last Tuesday committing $5 million from the American Rescue Plan. Crown Point Mayor David Uran says the City Council approved a similar resolution allowing the city to proceed with applying a matching grant from the State Water Infrastructure Fund. We're very hopeful that we can bring some additional dollars back to match your dollars, uh, dollar for dollar, uh, up to that $5 million. So thank you, and it's good news for South Lake County and the county in general. The $99 million project would add a wastewater treatment facility to serve the area southeast of the city. It's seen as a way to address current issues and encourage future development. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. Police in Hammond want the rest of the city to get on board with its license plate reader system. 
Network Indiana's Donnie Burgess reports. The system is called BlueNet. It's a fancy piece of software installed on new and existing cameras, which can read license plates to police in real time. The Times of Northwest Indiana reports the Hammond Police Department wants more businesses to install BlueNet. Several parks, intersections, and city buildings have already installed the software. Hammond Police say those areas have seen a reduction in violent crime and more successful investigations. Donnie Burgess, Network Indiana. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with D. Dotson. Lake County Council members are calling for the county's Superior Court judges to be elected by the people. Currently, they're selected by the governor from a pool of candidates created by a judicial nominating committee. Voters only have the option to retain or reject them when their term ends. In a party line vote Tuesday, the county council voted 5-2 to two to support a move to regular elections, the system used by the vast majority of Indiana's counties. Council member Charlie Brown says he's been trying to get the state to make the change for 20 years. There is no logical, feasible, and fair explanation as to why Lake County cannot elect their Superior Court judges. Council members noted that the few counties that don't elect their own Superior Court judges are heavily Democratic and are home to the majority of Indiana's African Americans. David Ham called the system racial injustice. Again, we're being treated different, and I think that the African American community is being slighted. It appears to me, you can call me wrong, that it's suggested that we're not going to let the African-American community select their judges. We're going to let the Caucasian communities. Dan Durnell and Christian Jurgensen opposed the measure. Jurgensen felt the current method is a representative system. Well, I would say that the last several judges who have been uh, appointed are diverse. I don't believe it's a racial issue. Meanwhile, Durnell wanted to keep the current system in place and see if it continues to work. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with D. Dotson. Gary and Winfield are getting new early voting locations for the primary election cycle. The Post-Tribune reports the Lake County Board of Elections and Registration moved Gary's in-person early voting site from the closed Genesis Center to the Gary Public Library across the street, which is already used as an Election Day polling place. Meanwhile, the Winfield Public Library will also serve as an early voting site due to space limitations at the nearby Town Hall. Lake County's other nine early voting locations will remain the same. In-person early voting begins April 5th. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with D. Dotson. The criminal case against Lake County Sheriff Oscar Martinez Jr. for allegedly resisting law enforcement and reckless driving will move ahead to trial. A special judge on Monday denied the sheriff's attorney's request to dismiss the criminal charges against him. 
The county commissioners sent a letter to Prosecutor Bernard Carter last October seeking an investigation into the alleged misuse of some of the county's new police vehicles. Martinez is accused of driving an unmarked police vehicle at more than 50 miles per hour over the posted speed limit on Taft and Main Streets in Crown Point and Maryville, as well as failing to stop for two Crown Point police officers who were chasing his vehicle with their sirens blaring. A special prosecutor was named to handle the case once Sheriff Martinez was charged. His attorneys later said that the grand jury indictment was defective and conducted in violation of Indiana Code and the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with D. Dotson. Governor Eric Holcomb has signed legislation into law that expands the definition of rape in Indiana to include the element of consent. As Indiana Public Broadcasting's Stephanie Weekman reports, several lawmakers have spent years trying to widen the crime's definition in state law. Under the long-standing state definition of rape, an assault has to include threat or force, serious bodily injury, or involve drugs. When talking about consent, only an act done to a person who can't give consent due to mental disability was included. Our public policy hasn't evolved the way the general public's thinking about rape is concerned. Since 2019, Muncie Democratic State Representative Sue Arrington has authored or co-authored bills to add consent for every person. For the past two years, she says Republican Representative Sharon Nagel agreed to be the bill's lead author to better get it through committee hearings. This year's bill received broad bipartisan support, with only a handful of no votes on both chamber floors. House Bill 1079 broadens the definition of rape to include any sexual activity done to someone without their permission, quote, through words or conduct. For Indiana Public Broadcasting, I'm Stephanie Weekman. Arrington says she and Nagel are considering next asking to broaden the definition of sexual battery. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. The end of Indiana's health emergency means reduced food stamp benefits starting in May. I'm Eric Berman. Governor Holcomb asked legislators for a law preserving eligibility for pandemic-enhanced benefits as long as a federal health emergency remains in effect. That paved the way for him to end Indiana's emergency last week. But legislators extended those benefits only through the current federal expiration date next month. Holcomb told reporters earlier this month he can live with that. We're nearing a time where we can move back to a more normal formula. This is in addition to not less than uh, previous. So we're, we're moving back to that. Food stamp recipients will still get an extra $95 next month. The White House hasn't said whether it will extend the federal emergency again. Eric Berman, Network Indiana. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with D. Dotson. An Indiana nonprofit for veterans dealing with housing insecurity is being ordered to pay nearly $90,000 to caregivers after a Department of Labor investigation. Indiana Public Broadcasting's Justin Hicks reports the DOL found it violated a new minimum wage requirement for federal contractors. 
The Journey Home in Winchester, just east of Muncie, provides temporary housing assistance and services to veterans who are homeless. Because it receives some federal funding from the Department of Veterans Affairs, it has to follow federal pay guidelines. But when the minimum hourly rate was increased to $11.25 an hour with an executive order in September, the nonprofit didn't follow suit for 19 caregivers. It also failed to compensate some employees correctly for holidays and vacations. Following the investigation, the Labor Department ordered the journey home to pay those employees restitution. For Indiana Public Broadcasting, I'm Justin Hicks. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. The number of kids in Indiana's foster care system has decreased in recent years. That means more kids are being placed in safer homes. Indiana Public Broadcasting's Elizabeth Gabriel reports child advocates are still concerned about racial disparities among the kids in the foster care system. A new report from the Indiana Youth Institute shows a disproportionate number of black kids were in foster care in 2020. Black children were in the system at a rate far higher than in the state's population. Tammy Silverman is the president of the Indiana Youth Institute. She's concerned social workers' biases could impact which children are entering the foster care system. There may be bias in our screening that we're looking at, and that's one of our recommendations is to make sure we're paying attention to equity and disparity because there is a disproportional number of kids who are screened into the system that are Black. The Indiana Youth Institute also recommends incorporating blind case reviews of children by removing identifying demographic information. Elizabeth Gabriel, Indiana Public Broadcasting. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. Controversial bills aligned with the national political battles on cultural and social issues in schools dominated conversations at the State House this session. But lawmakers also conducted plenty of other legislative business that didn't get as much attention. And Indiana Public Broadcasting's Jenny Lindsay reports they made several notable changes for education. It's impossible to talk about this year's legislative session without talking about two key things. The school curriculum bills and the bill banning transgender girls and girls' school sports. Hundreds of Hoosiers converged on the state house to protest both throughout session. Zoe O'Halen Byrne is one of several people who urged Hoosiers to support transgender children as lawmakers considered the school sports bill. We are asking Hoosiers across the state to step forward and help these children, to love them, to support them, to advocate for them, because they need us now more than ever. Ultimately, the curriculum bills both died. Lawmakers sent the trans athlete bill to the governor. That got most of the attention, but lawmakers worked on other stuff, too. Some changes focused on mitigating the impact of the pandemic. One measure lets schools avoid funding losses after getting hit hard by COVID-19 last semester. Senate Education Committee Chair Jeff Rotz says it gives schools a workaround for calculating quarantined students' enrollment since the state offers schools less funding for virtual students. Because of the existing law, school districts potentially could lose 15 percent of uh, the foundation amounts. Lawmakers made several new rules for schools, too, about school board meetings, e-learning days, and who schools can hire to teach. 
School boards are now required to hear public comment at meetings. Lawmakers made it so boards have to hear comments on action items before voting on them. House Education Committee Chair Bob Baining says it'll make school board meetings more similar to how things work in the state house. So this just changes it more so that it reflects what we do in this body. But the General Assembly didn't take that approach as it added a limit to the number of e-learning days schools can use each year. Lawmakers added a three-day cap to e-learning days without hearing public comment first. Representative Tanya Paff is a teacher from Terre Haute. She says the three-day limit is too restrictive because schools use e-learning days when teachers are busy proctoring state tests. That, in addition to snow days, I, I just think three is pretty restrictive. And to combat teacher shortages, lawmakers are allowing schools to hire people with specific professional expertise called adjunct teachers. But Representative Vernon Smith worries the adjunct option is a step away from finding qualified, well-rounded teachers and doesn't address why schools struggle to keep them. And what this bill is offering us is a body in the classroom, not someone who's prepared to deal with children. So what did lawmakers do to more directly affect Hoosier children? Senator Jean Lysing still wants more students to file the Free Application for Federal Student Aid, or FAFSA. She proposed a bill requiring students to fill out the form, but settled for a version requiring the state to give families more information and very specific notice about it. This is a little bit positive forward movement in the fact that most of our kids then and their parents will know that FAFSA exists. The General Assembly also made some behind-the-scenes changes. One bill says the State Department of Education and State Board will reduce the number of state standards and work to align tests like iLearn with those. Lawmakers also tasked the department with making recommendations on what a new state program could look like for teachers and parents working together directly. Specifically, what it would take to create a teacher-parent compact program supported with state funds and teacher retirement benefits. But plenty of ideas didn't pass, like a school referendum sharing proposal and a rework of special education disputes. And while it's not certain they'll return, there's always a chance of similar ideas making a comeback at the Statehouse next year. For Indiana Public Broadcasting, I'm Jeannie Lindsay. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. Franciscan Health is linking up with its school partners in Northwest Indiana, the rest of the state, and in South Suburban Chicago to reduce the shortage of nursing professionals and to better prepare them for their careers. Students get valuable clinical experience as they complete their degrees and get tuition assistance in the final three semesters of their degree work. Franciscan Health Director of Clinical Education, Jennifer Olson, joined Regionally Speaking host Chris Nolte to talk about the program. As you can imagine, with the different um, surges that we've had with COVID, uh, nurses have increased shifts. Um, and are really suffering from mental and emotional exhaustion. And we've also seen during this last couple years that uh, violence against nurses and other health care clinicians is going up. So what we're seeing is, is an unprecedented number of nurses leaving the workforce. So the Department of Labor has recently cited that about 420,000 nurses have left. And that's about one-sixth of the workforce um, nationally. 
And we know from other research that's been done that we actually see a lot of new nursing students um, who've graduated and entered the profession leave that first and second year of practice. Um, so by the second year that um, a nurse is functioning in her role or his role, about 33% leave the profession for either another setting, so from like a hospital to a physician office, or to a totally different industry, like insurance or um, the legal industry. So uh, we are in desperate need of nurses right now in order to keep our unit staffed and care for the communities that we function in. The highest Franciscan Health trying to help uh, deal with the issue of making sure there are enough nurses uh, to be able to, to feed into the healthcare system, but helping the, the nursing schools that are out there, the students in the schools, pick up some very, very valuable experience. Yeah, so that's a great question. We know that it's very difficult for a student to transition into that nurse role. The first year is fraught um, with Stressors, um, they, there's a lot of understanding from an academic perspective, but the actual um, taking care of patients and learning about labs and communicating with physicians and the other pieces of the care team is a lot. And so what, what we're trying to do is select nurses who want to come work for us after they graduate into the internship program. And what we offer is um, a one-on-one -on -one preceptor relationship with an experienced nurse where this nursing student gets to follow the nurse, see what he or she does in the care setting, uh, ask questions, learn how to think critically, prioritize uh, different tasks and patient management. And um, it is a really unique opportunity for students because usually when they're in their clinical rotation, it, they don't have the time to really follow a nurse. They're kind of in and out of patient rooms and really don't see the whole picture. Um, so they, uh, all of our interns will get to have that opportunity for up to 16 hours a month. Um, we ask that they work one, eight, or two 16-hour, um, uh, actually two, one or two eight-hour shifts. Mm -hmm. Let me clarify that. Yeah. And um, so they'll get that opportunity each month. And while they're also in school, we're helping them with tuition dollars because we also know that as students transition into the nursing role and are entering that first year of practice, we see a lot of students struggle with finances just from a student debt perspective. And so if we can help them while they're in school, get their degree, and then transition them into our workplace, that's good for us. We want that transition to be as easy and as smooth as possible. Jennifer, which uh, partner schools are working with uh, Franciscan Health, in particular the one uh, hospitals and clinics here in Northwest Indiana that are part of this uh, nurse internship program? Great question. So we actually have, um, right now, three schools that we're working with, um, Ivy Tech Community Colleges throughout Northwest Indiana. So there's several um, facilities, um, Valparaiso and um, the Lake County Schools. 
We are also partnering with the University of St. Francis, um, both for their associate and their bachelor's degree. And then we're looking at um, creating additional partnerships, but those agreements aren't quite signed yet. But I would encourage people to go out to our website. We're updating them as those get signed. Mm -hmm. And then if anyone's listening in um, South Suburban Chicago, we're also partnering right now with Prairie State College. Oh, Okay. So, so you know, bring an interest uh, for people that are interested in becoming nurses here in Indiana, but maybe they're living out of state right now, across the state line, in particular in Illinois. They can uh, they can get their degrees uh, and get whatever they need, and then they can uh, transfer over, I suppose, into the Indiana facilities. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the unique op- opportunities. Students, we recognize, may choose different schools of nursing, and they can transition to any Franciscan health facility. So even if you're going to school in Crown Point at the University of St. Francis, if you want a job in Indianapolis, even though you're not doing your clinicals there, we can work with those students to ensure that that that, that nurse is then able to transfer. Since the Franciscan Health Nurse Internship Program is a very unique partnership with the healthcare provider as well as with the, these partner schools. Is this going to turn out to be, in a way, maybe not directly, but in a way like a mentorship program for these nurses? They're still students, but they want to become professionals. That's exactly our goal. Um, because we know that that first year is a difficult transition um, for nurses, we want to start that relationship earlier while um, people are still students and to create a safe and nurturing environment for them to learn in. We feel like the more exposure and um, the more invested our nurses in are in these students, that the easier that transition is going to be. That's Jennifer Olson, the Director of Clinical Education with Franciscan Health. Regionally Speaking is on the air and online 11 a.m. Mondays through Thursdays on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM and streaming online at lakeshorepublicradio.org. For the latest in local news and information, tune in Monday at 6 a.m. for Morning Edition with local host Chris Nolte. Lakeshore Update is supported by the listeners and members of Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. Podcasts for Lakeshore Update are posted each Friday on our website, lakeshorepublicradio.org, as well as on NPR One. Make sure you search for WLPR and select us as your home station. Music for Lakeshore Update was written and produced by bensound.com. For Lakeshore Update, I'm D. Dotson.